Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's April 4th, 1958, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. There are a handful of instantly recognisable symbols in the world, including Nike's swoosh and the Christian cross, and for better or more probably worse, the Nazi swastika. But one logo to join that club comparatively recently was the peace sign, which made its first appearance today in history in 1958. But its designer originally meant it to convey something slightly different to peace. So if you're listening in the UK, you will know this sign as specifically the logo of the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, CND. And that's the origins that it had on this day in history in 1958. But if you're listening, particularly in the States, you may just think of it as a sort of generic peace sign that you might associate with hippies or with Volkswagen camper vans, that sort of Forrest Gump style anti-Nixon protest scene that you imagine in your head. (laughs) The little circle with an upside down tree in it. And probably you have no idea where it originated, but it did originate here in Britain with a very specific purpose in mind. Yeah, it was designed by the artist Gerald Holtham as a symbol for use in the first Aldermaston March, which would become a yearly march, this was the first one, every Easter from London to the Atomic Weapons Research Establishment in Aldermaston in Berkshire, that's 52 miles. And it was emblazoned on 500 cardboard, what they call lollipop signs, you know, just a very simple stick with something at the top. Half of them were black on white and half of them were white on green, which was supposedly meant to reflect the way the church's liturgical colours change over Easter. Just a lot of thought had gone into these protest signs. Now they just say, you know, Donald Trump's a but back in those days, <laughs> it was notice the liturgical significance. Yeah, so what it's meant to symbolise is that the vertical line in the centre represents the flag semaphore signal for the letter D, and the downward lines on either side represent the semaphore signal for the letter N, and then N and D are for nuclear disarmament, and they're enclosed in this circle. There's another reason that he had in mind. He thought about the image of Goya's the 3rd of May, which is that quite famous um, painting of uh, a peasant before a firing squad but and, and he sort of has his arms out in this sort of position of despair. As it happens Holtam imagined him with his hands kind of down by his sides like on the peace symbol but actually in the painting he's got his hands very firmly up so he must have misremembered it. I feel like if it inspired you that deeply wouldn't you check again before yeah. you actually did the design? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it wasn't even designed, actually, for the campaign for nuclear disarmament. It was designed for the Direct Action Committee Against Nuclear War. And then it became the symbol of the CND. And then it became a broader peace symbol. And I wonder if he was kind of trying to remodel slightly his inspiration so that it wasn't so tied to this very specific thing. I mean, the way that it became a broader symbol for peace, that too has a bit of dispute about it. It may have been uh, first brought across to the US as part of the civil rights movement, possibly imported by a guy called Bayard 
Bernard Rustin, who was a close collaborator of Martin Luther King Jr., and he had uh, participated in this London march in 1958, and then the story goes, he brought it back with him. There's another story, which is that the buttons with the symbol on it that, you know, that were handed out on the day, they were imported into the US in 1960 by a guy called Philip Altback, who was a freshman at the University of Chicago. But um, but even that looks like a guy trying to shoehorn himself into history a little bit, <laughs> because basically the idea seems to be that the truth of it is that it sort of started being picked up by other people for use, particularly in the protests against the Vietnam War as a kind of general symbol for, you know, what do we want? No war. That's well, that's, where, where this it is, isn't it? It's, it's anti-establishment, isn't it? It's it's not used by the authorities. I think that's the thing that delineates it, and that's why it kind of went viral. Because it's not as if there wasn't already a very popular peace symbol, uh, which is the olive branch, right? Yes. I mean, the olive branch is in the Great Seal of the United States in 1782. It's in the United Nations flag in 1946. It's not like there was nothing out there to represent peace. Yeah, but a bit harder to draw... What's that there, man? It's like a, a branch. Give it a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And, and, and here you had something that had its origins in something that just seemed cooler because it wasn't on a flag. It was being held by people who were against something that the country were doing and was easy to draw. I mean, I know you said that flippantly, but that is absolutely right. You know, if you're particularly in a repressive society, you can quickly scribble something on the floor in a chalk. Yeah, I mean, that was the issue with some of the previous symbols of peace, because this wasn't the first attempt that was made. So the closest to a universal sign for peace was probably the V sign, although that obviously was V for victory, so it wasn't necessarily peace. That was popularised in 1941 by Victor de Lavallee, who was a Belgian MP who had fled to London, and he was broadcasting back to Belgium from London. He suggested V as a rallying sign. And then obviously it was co-opted by Winston Churchill and the Allied powers generally. But again, that is hard to draw as a distinctive symbol. How do you draw it without just looking like you've drawn the letter V? It's also such a particular version of peace. Like, the V symbol is peace on our terms. Well, maybe more fitting thematically than to peace is the symbol of the broken rifle that had been in use since the early 1900s, and it became the symbol of War Resisters International in 1921. But again, very tricky to draw. If you're not good at drawing, I'm not much good. I'm not sure I could do that, especially not quickly on a wall with spray paint, you know. And also it dates so quickly. Like, all of those flags that have an AK-47 in them, they too must be impossible when you're a school kid trying to draw your national flag. <laughs> It'd be easier when they update them to drones. Yeah, right. But also they have made a point of not copywriting it, never copywriting it, so that no one has to pay or seek permission before they use it. It's a symbol of freedom. It's free for all. But actually, cheekily, two companies tried to trademark it in the same year, in 1970, uh, both the Intercontinental Shoe Corporation in New York <laughs> <laughs> and Love Inc. of Miami tried to uh, make it their very own. Um, but If you're going to um, march from London to Aldermaston, you need good shoes. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but the commissioner of patents uh, at the time said, no, you couldn't do it because it's basically, uh, it doesn't belong to you. It never did. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with your product. So uh, that was shot down. And Gerald Holton himself didn't ever make any money out of the design. The sad thing is how unsuccessful the campaign for nuclear disarmament has been, really. Like, I was looking up the current figures on nukes in the world, and although obviously there aren't exact figures because, you know, this whole business is shrouded in enormous secrecy, uh, the Federation of American Scientists estimates that there are around 19,000 nuclear warheads in the world, 95% of which are Russian and American, unsurprisingly. The UK has around 200 warheads. 
But the, but also like the destructive power of them has grown so enormously. Like the Hiroshima bomb was about 15 kilotons, that is 15,000 tons of TNT equivalent. Uh, and the Nagasaki bomb was 25 kilotons. But the current biggest uh, yield thermonuclear device in the US is the B-83, which has a yield of 1.2 megatons. So that's like 50 to 80 Hiroshima's put together. It's astonishing. And yet a lot of the top politicians in Western democracies in particular kind of in their hearts would like disarmament, wouldn't they? You've Mm. got this strange situation where it's escalated and yet at the same time there would be, for example, a lot of politicians that wouldn't feel embarrassed being at a march where someone was holding this behind them, whereas they would with other symbols behind them. And that's because the symbol can mean anything to anyone. When you actually look into what CND stand for, you go on their website... Yes, it's scrap Britain's nuclear weapons. Yes, it's global abolition of nuclear weapons. But it's also uh, no to nuclear power. Yes. It's mm. no yeah. to NATO. Yeah. Um, and so actually, once you get into the detail of how would you go about achieving peace, a lot of the solutions that they'd suggest under this banner aren't the ones that people who think the banner is just an innocent peace sign would. Yeah. Well, that links to the reason why Holtham actually regretted putting the symbol the way up that it ended up. He wanted it in the end to be upside down because he thought actually a better semaphore symbol to be involved in would have been you to signify unilateral disarmaments. Yeah, I mean, that was what was actually at the heart of the CND when it was formed. It was formed in the wake of an article that appeared in the New Statesman magazine by J.B. Priestley. And in it, he urged the British government to give up what was then its recent nuclear program. Britain had only mm. just become a nuclear power. And it's so weird now that it seems such an ingrained part of life that at the time, it really really seemed like it was a plausible thing that, that the government could just roll this back and say, no, OK, we won't be a nuclear power. I mean, they, they received so many letters to the New Statesman after the article appeared by people who were really keen on this idea and were really uneasy about Britain joining the US and the USSR as a nuclear power. The editor of the magazine, Kingsley Martin, was one of the founders then of the CND because he could see just how much support there was for this. And at the time, the group seriously believed that disarmament could be imminent. That's the part that mm. it seems so mm. strange to me now. You know, obviously, having we've all grown up in a world where you know countries have had nuclear weapons and there's no sign of them giving them up. But Labour were predicted to win the 1959 election. In the end, they lost. But the campaigners genuinely thought if Labour got into office, that this would be what they would do. And there were lots of Labour politicians and members in the CND ranks. One thing they did do after this day is uh, change the march route whenever the CND did a, an anti-nuclear march from this point from Aldermaston to London. So Aldermaston is where the nuclear weapons were and still are manufactured. But they realised that if they're going in the opposite direction to where the policymakers and media actually are, they're more likely to get documented. I thought you were going to say that that was a route that took them next to the Intercontinental Shoe Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. There was a fragrance called Shocking, which was in a bottle that was modelled on Mae West's bust. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 